Would you please turn with me to your study outlines that are there in your program? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, over a thousand every week that join us online for our study of God's Word. And we are so glad that you're joining us, as well as our friends in Arco, Idaho, at the Baptist Community Church there, and also Purpose Church in Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study of God's Word as well. We're continuing our summer series called The Journey, which is based on the book of Deuteronomy. And the title of today's study is Obedience on the Journey. It's based on the three chapters of Deuteronomy we're going to read during the coming week that you'll see there at the end of your study outline, Deuteronomy's chapters 10, 11, and 12. Now what's happening today is that Israel is about to try to do a a do-over to get to the promised land. They're, They're trying again. They failed 40 years before because of disobedience, and now God is giving them a do-over. Aren't you glad that God is the God of second chances, and of third chances, and of fourth chances? But let me just say a little thing in in, in favor of uh, first chances. Uh, When you do first-time obedience, any of you parents push that? Kimberly was such a great mom, and she was always pushing with our kids first-time obedience. I don't know how successful we were, but she was always pushing that. First-time obedience. Well, God likes that with his kids as well. And so let's hear it for second chances. Let's hear it for third chances. But let's hear it for first-time obedience. You will save yourself so much uh, effort in the Christian life, so much pain, so much heartache. Uh, You will maximize your impact if you have first-time obedience. And so those of us that are like my age and we have our regrets, okay, that's awesome. Yay, God, we got second chances. But for those of you that are young, let me just say a word for first-time obedience. It'll multiply your impact. You'll, you'll have even that much greater an impact. You'll miss out on so much heartache. Now, the good news is God gives us second chances, but let's hear it for first-time obedience as well. But Israel needed a do-over to get to the promised land. Forty years before this story that we're looking at today, in 1440 B.C., they failed because of their disobedience. Now it's about 1400 B.C., and a new generation is going to give it another try. A new generation is going to try it again. And Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, is Moses preaching a sermon to challenge this new generation to be obedient this time and this time to enter their promised land. Now, as we dig into this, I want to make this super practical. I want this to live for you and not be theoretical. I want you to think of your promised land. Think right now about a promised land, something you feel like God wanted you to do. It could be something at work. It could be something at school. It could be something in your personal life. It could be something in your, in your walk with God. And you, and you really felt like this is something God wanted you to do. And I'm thinking of something right now that God wanted me to do, but I failed in my first attempt. Uh, you, you failed the first time around. But God is going to give you another shot. And what we're going to see here in Moses' sermon that he's preaching here is that the greater your trust in God, which leads to the greater obedience to God, the greater your obedience to God, the greater your chances of taking your promised land this time. How many of you love that song, Break Every Chain? Thank you so much, Letitia, man, you guys in the praise team. Break Every Chain. There's power in the name of Jesus to take this promised land this time around. And sometimes we have to learn by getting beaten down and, and making mistakes. And, and sometimes we, that, that's part of the process. But there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain and to enter whatever the promised land is that God has called you to take. So we're going to look at six reasons that we should obey God. 
First of all, we should obey God because of his greatness. Uh, Tim Tebow writes, I pray to start my day and finish it in prayer. I'm just thankful for everything, all the blessings in my life. It keeps everything in perspective. Uh, First two verses of Deuteronomy chapter 10. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And then verse 13. And to observe the Lord's commands and decrees, and let's just hold this for just a minute, that I'm giving you today for your own good. He gives us commands for our own good. Sometimes we get the idea that God is just like a grumpy old man sitting up in heaven looking for anybody having a good time and going, hey, you down there, cut it out. Stop having fun. We, we think that the commands are all about cramping our style, all about minimizing our fun. Hey, you, uh, cut it out. No, God says he gives us, I mean, just like those of you that are, that are parents, you know you give the rules, you know, don't put your tongue in an electrical socket. That is not because you're just grouchy that day and you want to control somebody. Uh, you say, no, don't put the fork in the electrical socket. I guess tongue, that would, nobody ever does that, but you put a fork in there. Uh, uh, do, do that for your own good, for your own protection, for your own blessing. We do that with our kids. God does that with his kids. And he says, I'm giving you these commands today for your own good. Now, last week, we just had a great example of that. Uh, we talked about the unbelievable medical regulations that were given to Israel 3,300 years before modern science discovered them to be true. I mean, that just was mind-blowing. Uh, here's something I was thinking about. Um, we're, we're finishing up our momentum campaign, which will lead into our 150th birthday as a church. Uh, our church was founded in 1870. So rare for a church to still be pumping. As a matter of fact, it's, you can probably count on one or two hands the churches in, in world history that are still pumping like our church after 150 years. It's just incredibly rare. You can hardly find examples in church history down through the last 2,000 years. It's just really unique what God is doing here. And our church was founded in 1870. It'll be 150 years old in 2020. But our church was founded in 1870, but germs weren't discovered until 1890. Can you imagine how gross it would be to do the greeting time shaking hands before they knew to wash their hands? I mean, our church was founded just five years after the conclusion of the Civil War. This church was started right after the the, the Civil War, 20 years before germs were discovered. The people for the first 20 years of our church would have no idea why we have hand sanitizer dispensers out in the lobby as you come in. They'd have no idea for 20 years. But the Israelites in 1400 BC would understand why we had sanitizers out there. Is that crazy? Is God's word unbelievable? Uh, Last week I ended up by saying how they obeyed even when they didn't understand. And they were healthier because of it. And I joked about the fact that the Israelite children say, the Philistine kids don't have to wash their hands. And then the parents would say, if the Philistine kids all jumped off a roof, would you jump off of a roof? Would you jump off of a cliff? You know, they, I'm sure the Israelite kids were just like annoyed. What are all these laws? The Israelites, the adults were annoyed by it. Why do we have to do it when nobody else has to do it? But those that chose to obey, even when they didn't understand, were blessed and healthier because of it. 
And the same thing is true for us. You know, so many times I hear people say, I won't follow God until I understand this particular thing about him. Usually it's about the problem of evil in the world. Um, you know, that we, we Sean McDowell talked about a couple of weeks ago here, uh, something like that, the problem of evil or, or, or other things like that. I'm not gonna follow God until I understand everything about him. And you miss out on so much when you have that, can I say it hum, gently, that arrogant attitude that I've got to understand or I'm not going to obey God. You might miss out on going to heaven. You may end up eternity in hell instead of heaven because you refuse to obey just because you didn't understand something. It's like a child that's crossing the street and you see a car coming and you go, stop, get out of the street. If that child turns to you and says, I will not do that until you explain to me fully the reasons for doing it. That's not good, right? You want them to obey even before they understand or even if they never understand. Uh, all that I understand about God leads me to trust him in the areas I don't understand. I mean, when I go to God's word, and like, like last week, I'm telling you, just those regulations we looked at last Sunday, that would be enough to trust him in the areas I don't understand. I mean, fulfilled prophecy. Now, all the scientific evidence that uh, Sean McDowell talked about a couple of weeks ago, all those evidences for the resurrection and for designer behind the universe. I mean, uh, I mean he helped us so much to understand. And, and all that I understand about him leads me to trust him in that which I don't understand. And you miss out on so much, maybe even miss out on heaven by refusing to obey until you fully understand. Um, take sex, for example. I love to talk about sex. Not for reasons you might think, okay? That's not, that's not why I like to talk about it. I like to talk about sex because it's one of those areas where you don't have to wait until you get to heaven to figure out that God is smarter than us. I, as a pastor, I love it because it's like this really good example uh, to point out to people. I mean, as a pastor, I spend my life saying, look, trust me in this, you guys, and when you get to heaven, you'll thank me. But you gotta trust me and trust God's word this side of heaven. And so you guys make tremendous sacrifices. I mean, those of you that like worked with kids for all last week and got exhausted and I'm like sore in places I didn't even know existed from sitting on the floor and doing these Jana Lyra motions. And then I've got those songs in my head that I can't get out. <laughs> And, and, and uh, you know, and, and so why, why did you do that? Okay, well, you know, because you said, you know, trust me. When you get to heaven, there's going to be a child that's there in heaven because of you, and you're going to go, whoa, I'm glad I did that. The priorities in life, I always challenge you as your pastor, live according to eternal priorities, and, and, and doesn't it slow you down sometimes? You, you give up certain things in life because of that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's just, we got to trust God's word here, guys. We're, we're going to be grateful when we get to heaven. I mean, how about giving? We just, we just gave the offering. Um, somebody said to me the other day, you know, Pastor Glenn, I was thinking how much more stuff I could have if I didn't give to God's work, uh, you know? And, and somebody else was saying to me, man, you know, why does that person always have all that money to do this trip or, or, or this particular thing? Well, it's because they don't give. And, and let's face it, I, I know God blesses and multiplies, and I really believe that, but you are missing out because of giving. 
I'm glad our chief of operations is not at this service. She wouldn't want me to hear his head, but, but you are. And, what, and why do you do that? Why do you give of your financial resources that could go for a nicer car, a nicer home, uh, a nicer vacation? Because we believe, hey, when you get to heaven, you're going to get up there and, 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 and only what you gave is going to mean anything in heaven. Nothing you spent on yourself is going to mean a thing in heaven. Only what you gave. And so as your pastor, I just have to say, trust God's word on this. Trust me on this. But when you come to sex, I mean, the benefits of getting to be old like me is you begin to see patterns develop over time. 45 years ago, our nation decided that we were smarter than God in the area of sex. 45 years ago, right, right when I was about a teenager, we said, you know what? God's cramping our style. We know better. Now, 45 years later, we can see how that turned out. Broken hearts, broken families. Here in California, an explosion of sexually transmitted diseases. Do you know it's just, I don't know if you've read the headlines, California is just rampant right now. And after 45 years of this experiment, we're like, you know what? Maybe God's smarter than us in this area. And it leads us to trust him in other areas. Well, if he's smarter than us in this area, maybe he's smarter than us in, in other areas. It reminds me of, of a, a view from space at night of the Korean Peninsula. I know that's exactly what you were thinking. You were thinking, you know, as you're talking about sex in America, first thing that popped into my mind was the Korean Peninsula from, from, from space. Okay, here, here's a picture of the Korean Peninsula. Here's South Korea, here's North Korea, right here, at night from space. Now, about, what, 60 years ago or so ago, Northern Korea decided to become an atheist um, communist country and South Korea decided to become a democracy, and, uh, and, and Christianity exploded in, in this country. I mean, it, one of the fastest growing in all the world. Do you know that they, Korea, South Korea now sends out more missionaries than the United States? A little country pumps out more missionaries around the world than, than the United States. Or at least it was almost there a couple of years ago, and I think it's probably by now it's past us. But it's right even with us, even though it's a fraction of our size. Uh, and, and, and so you, you take off the lid after 60 years of communist, atheist versus democracy, um, Christians, okay? And this is just like a visual of what you end up with. North Korea is now one of the worst places in the world to live. South Korea is one of the best places in the world to live. And so you can just, you can just say, and the same thing is true with sex in America. You kind of take the lid off, you let the pot cooked for 45 years, you take the lid up off, and, and what have we ended up with? Erica Young, um, very, very secular source, this is an MS magazine, just not to my view Christian at all, just very, very secular. She said, our society, this is only 15 years, this is an old quote, there's only a third of the way as to how far we've gone now. Our society has had a decade and a half of experimentation with random sexual freedom. We have discovered that it is neither so very sexy nor so very free. My generation is disillusioned with sex as a social panacea. Uh, David French writes, uh, sexual liberation has all too often brought neither sex nor liberation. Just last week, I, uh, uh, Pastor Brian from the Claremont campus, he sent me this article uh, pastors love to send each other sex articles on, on uh, the Christianity kind of thing. So he, he sends me this thing. 
uh, he sent me this article of this sweeping new study. This is like one of the biggest studies of its time today. Uh, it was done over 11 different countries, including the United States, the United Kingdom, uh, Great Britain, uh, France, Canada, Argentina, and six other countries. And, and, the, and the study found, of the sweeping study against multiple countries, highly religious couples, enjoy, here's a quote, quote, enjoy higher quality relationships and more sexual satisfaction and are far less likely to have cheated on their spouse. The correlation of religion was especially pronounced among women. Those women in highly religious marriages were 50% more likely to report being, quote, strongly satisfied sexually than their secular and less religious counterparts. Now, there's a reason to follow Jesus, just like, like right, right there, man. Uh, he's, 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 uh, he's, he's smarter than we are. He's smarter than we are. God is great, and God is good, and he calls on us to obey him in all areas of life for our own good. Here's another reason to obey God. We must obey God because of what we have, what we have seen. Uh, he says in verse 1 of chapter 11, Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. Remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God, his majesty, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, the signs he performed and the things he did in the heart of Egypt, both to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his whole country. But it was your own eyes that saw all these great things that the Lord has done. You know, sometimes the key to obedience is just remembering what you've seen. Man, we forget so much. That's another Jana Lyra song. I kick it out of my head. You know, you know, you know, I remember, I remember, I remember you, remember you, remember you. Remember. Uh, but it was so, so great. It, it, it's true. So much of obedience is just remembering what we've seen God do. I don't know about you, but I just, I forget so many times the benefits of obedience and the consequences of disobedience. I just forget. I was at Celebrate Recovery um, a week ago, Tuesday night, and that's our Christian 12-step group, and by the way, I'd highly recommend it. 6.30 on Tuesday nights, about 100 yards that way in our, in our H building, just spectacular, just wonderful. And, and you know what's an interesting thing, if you've ever been a part of a 12-step group like AA or, or Celebrate Recovery, um, it, it's basically a lot of repetition. You, you say the 12 steps over and over again. You, you say kind of a similar prayer at the end, uh, um, you know, the, the, the prayer at the end. I mean, but what, but what a powerful thing to be surrounded by people just helping you to remember what you already know. You don't usually pick up anything that new at Celebrate Recovery. It's just you're surrounded by people in your groups and, 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 and the overall group that just help you remember what you already know. And so much of obedience is just a matter of remembering the benefits of following God and the consequences of not following God. Um, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip this next one because I really want to save time uh, for the next point. So you can read that one on your own. We must obey God because of what we'll receive. Um, but let's go down to we must obey God because of his blessings on our family. 
I, I want to spend a little bit of time on this, and I'm playing catch-up ball from a, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, with just a few slight rep variations, uh, this is a repeat of three weeks ago from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Basically, five chapters later, God repeats himself. And whenever God repeats himself, it must be really important. And so I'm really glad that we get to spend a little bit more time on this because the Bible does. Because, uh, to be very frank, I, I, you're not going to believe this, but I ran long on my sermon and, and, and I cut some at the end there. So I'm kind of getting a redo on, on this as well, some of the material that I had to cut three weeks ago. Deuteronomy 11, verse 18, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. And then he gives them all these kind of visuals. Tie them on symbols on your hands. Now, the Pharisees literally did this, but we said, Matt Chandler called that an adventure and missing the point. Remember I said that? That's not the point. The point is these visuals that it should be every part of your life and bind them on your, your foreheads. Teach them to your children. And remember, this is not just for parents I'm talking about here. We as a church have a responsibility to the whole next generation. We are spiritually part of a family. So we have our, we have our physical family that are our children and grandchildren. But then we have our spiritual family. And everybody here, whether you have children or not, uh, everybody has a responsibility to pass the baton to the next generation. So teach them to your children, all of us, the, the spiritually within our church, generation to generation, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you go to sleep. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. Now he gives these all these visuals, and there's a reason why the Bible is so visual in, in nature. John Maxwell says, experts in the field of communications say that our learning is 89% visual, 10% auditory, and 1% through other senses. And, and can I just explain, um, that's why so much of, of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is, is all these sacrifices and these, these festivals, and, and it's because they didn't have video clips back then. I really believe that. Uh, they, they didn't have pictures of the Korean Peninsula from space to, to show you. They didn't have video clips. Uh, so they did all these visuals. Uh, I was learning this at kids camp. Uh, my favorite part was the puppets, man. Those puppets are awesome. Those puppets are awesome. I got so much out of the puppets. And they were talking about how at the beginning of the book of Joshua, that, that they um, gathered stones. Each person from the tribes took one stone, and then they made a, a monument of these stones on the other side of the Jordan River as a visual reminder. And then at the end of the book of Joshua, the two and a half tribes, I preach on this all the time about communication and asking people uh, why they did certain things. And so they built this monument to remind their children and the children of the other nine and a half tribes that they were part of Israel. And so they did all these visual things. That's why Jesus taught in parables. Uh, Jesus was always looking for teachable moments. And, and, and so that's, I have to admit, because I'm a visual learner, I, I, I very much am a visual learner. I believe a picture's worth a thousand words. And that, frankly, is why I like to use video clips and why I like to use pictures and visuals, because I, I think it helps us so much. So three weeks ago, we were in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we talked about looking for opportunities to model putting God first, and talking about our faith. Now, a couple of things. This takes time. 
It takes time and it takes attention. And can I just share a word that I want to share as an old guy with those of you that are younger, okay? Um, And I say this to young people all the time. I've said it to my own kids. I say this to young leaders. Don't, if if it's within your control, it's not always within your control, don't peak in your work career too soon. This is what I've observed through the years. Don't peak too soon. You see, so many people, they get into their first job, and maybe they're married, they got kids, and they're just all in. I mean, maybe you love your work. And the more you love your work, the more it's just, I mean, I love every second of my work, which makes it a great temptation to go all in. And what will happen is they'll just get consumed with their work career in their 20s and 30s. Now they get to their 40s, they've peaked, and three things happen. They've maybe left their spouse behind. Maybe they left their kids behind. They don't have a relationship with their kids. They don't have a relationship with their spouse. And they're bored because they've peaked and they still have 20 more years to go till retirement. So what I've encouraged young leaders to do is to, if, if, and sometimes it's not within your power, but when it's within your power to slow down a little bit and, and, and peak in your 50s rather than your 40s, then all of a sudden you get to your 50s You've still got a marriage intact. You've still got a relationship with your kids. And then you've only got 10 years till retirement, so you're not bored to tears for two decades, okay? And I've seen this work in different people's lives. Now, I want to just tell you something. I absolutely didn't follow my own advice. (laughs) Absolutely. Just what I just said. Now, I I did, but not because of me. It's because of my wife, Kimberly. Is Kimberly around in here? There she is right back there. I got, like, the best wife ever, And she'll tell you, in my 20s, what did I live for in my 20s, man? I lived to build a church that I was obsessed. You know, 70, 80-hour weeks, I just wanted a growing church. I lived for it. And she wouldn't let me get by with it. She wouldn't let me get by with it. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful. Did it possibly slow me down? Not really, not really. Looking back, not really, not really. But now we have these relationships with our kids and we have this marriage and, 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 and I'm so thankful for that. Now, um, it takes time to, to bring the next generation along on your journey and it takes attention. Let me read you something I didn't get a chance to read a few weeks ago that I really like this illustration by Charles Stanley. He says, a couple came into my office one afternoon to talk about their daughter. It seemed that she had decided to get married against the wishes of her parents. Needless to say, they were very concerned and upset. They had done their best to get their daughter to cancel her wedding plans, even to postpone them, but she was bound and determined to have her way. I agreed to talk to the young woman, and after some persuading, she agreed to talk to me. Her story was one I've heard many times before. Dad and mom were always too busy, too busy for the sixth grade open house, too busy to see her cheer at football games, too busy for her pageants, too busy to meet her friends, too busy to help her choose a major, and on and on it went. But when it was time for her to choose a marriage partner, all of a sudden they had a surge of interest. All of a sudden they wanted to jump into the middle of her life and help her make the quote right decision. All of a sudden her decisions were worth taking into consideration. Well, of course, you may say, this is the most important decision of her life. That may be true, but when she was 13, the most important decision in her life 
was whether she should have her hair permed or leave it straight. But she was left to face that, quote, crisis alone. At 15, the most important decision of her life was whether she should go to cheerleading camp or church camp. Nobody seemed too concerned about that one either. Then there was the time she could not decide which dress to wear to the prom. Mom looked up from tossing a salad just long enough to tell her that it was her decision. Again, she felt abandoned to do the best she could alone. For years, an unspoken message had been coming through loud and clear. As your parents, we are not really interested in what you do. It's your life. Live it the best you can. So when mom and dad stepped in to stop the wedding, their daughter did not see their actions as an expression of love and concern. She saw their actions as interference. And, and so it, it, it takes attention. Uh, it takes time and, uh, and it, it takes attention. Now, here's a quote that I didn't get a chance to do three weeks ago that I just think is so powerful for relationships, for your marriage, for the life of your children. It's by Matt Chandler. And it was in your study outline, but I didn't get a chance to deal with it. One of the keys to parenting, and I believe one of the calls on your life, is to love the kids you have and not the one you want. Love the kids you have and not the one you want. And I would throw in there that if you're already married, love the spouse you have and not the spouse you want. <laughs> now, the time to think about that is before they become your spouse. <laughs> but once they become your spouse, love the one you have, not the one you want. Uh, I've had this saying that has been so helpful to me in my life. Want what you have and you'll have what you want. Want what you have and you'll have what you want. Now, it's true of marriage, and it's true of our children. How many of you, don't raise your hand on this one, okay? <laughs> How many of you, um, your, your spouse is different than the fantasy spouse you thought you were going to get, okay? Uh, how many of you, your child is different than the kind of the fantasy child you thought you were going to have? Or I would call them the Stepford spouse or the Stepford child, uh, Stepford Wives was a novel back in 1972. It was about a group of wives in a small Connecticut town that were actually robots created by their husbands. How many of you guys, are there days, when, don't raise your head, don't you do that. It's a trap. Just in your mind, raise your hand. Are there days you wish you had a robot instead of an actual human being, you know, as your wife, you know. Now, now, God gave us the spouse we have and the child we have to fulfill his plan and purpose in our lives. And let me just tell you, as an old guy, looking back, I can see why God gave me my wife and I can see why God gave me certain of my children. They, they helped kind of fulfill God's plan and purpose. Now, I didn't always see it at the time. Didn't always see it at the time. But over time, I could see what God was up to. Okay, milestones. There are, there are milestones in, in our chi child's life. And I want to talk about making milestones and marking milestones, celebrating milestones, and commemorating milestones. When your child prays to receive Christ, oh, what a precious thing to have parents come up to me after this week and say, my little boy prayed to receive Christ this week. It doesn't get any better than that. When your child prays to receive Christ or when your child is baptized, 
Uh, the first time they receive communion, you've talked to them about the, and that's between a parent, there, there's no official age here at our church, that's between you and the parent and your child. First time that you think they're ready to receive communion or when they receive their first Bible, uh, when they get promoted here at church from the nursery to early childhood or early childhood to elementary or elementary to FSM and JHM or from JHM to HSM to high school ministry. Uh, the first Sunday of this month in June, we had our promotion Sunday. And, and maybe that's a time to commemorate when they move from one section of our ministry to the next. And in the evening, uh, Pastor Eric and, and Courtney Romero, they put together this evening for the high school graduates. We had more high school graduates at our senior dinner than we had ever had before. And it was one of the most powerful things I had ever seen as each of the small group leaders stood up and spoke into the lives of the high school students that were in their small group and just kind of spoke as to what they saw God doing within their lives. And then they gave them lanterns. They gave them each a lantern as kind of symbol that this is the light they were taking out into the world. It was just incredible. And maybe at one of these milestones, you give your child a handwritten letter or you take them out for a meal or you buy them a small gift. And it doesn't have to be complex, doesn't have to be expensive. It's just something to celebrate a spiritual milestone, just like the Israelites gathering the 12 stones and putting them on the side of the Jordan River. And then another reason we obey God is we must obey God because of the victories that we'll accomplish. Uh, Joanna Gaines writes, don't quit and don't give up. The reward is just around the corner. And in times of doubt or times of joy, listen for that still, small voice. Know that God has been there from the beginning, and he will be there until the end. Deuteronomy 11, verse 22. If you carefully observe all these commands I'm giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations larger and stronger than you. Every place where you set your foot will be yours. And then finally, we must obey God because of the consequences of our choices. You guys know I've shared this before. It's one of my favorite quotes by John Maxwell. The wrong decision at the wrong time equals disaster. If you make a bad decision, and if you do it at a particularly annoying time where it really ticks people off, that's a disaster. The wrong decision at the right, right time, that's a mistake. The right decision at the wrong time will lead to unacceptance. That is, it might be the right decision, but you don't time it carefully so people don't accept it because your timing is off. The right decision at the right time uh, will, will equal success. Deuteronomy 11, verse 26. He says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I command you today by following other gods which you, have, which you have not known. Be sure that you obey all the decrees and laws that I'm setting before you today. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. And, and right now, we are like poised on the edge of our promised land. And, 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 and maybe, like for me, I'm thinking of, of something God wanted me to do and because of disobedience, I never fulfilled it. And so I'm so thankful God gives us redoes. He gives us do-overs. And just like Israel, 
is standing on the edge of the promised land, and they get a do-over. And it took 40 years of wandering in a wilderness. They wasted 40 years of time. Uh, but, but God, it's okay. It's okay. God's given them a do-over, and he's given us a do-over. And, and, and just think of what your, your promised land is um, right now. And, and remember that Letitia and the team, they were leading us in that song, Break Every Chain. There's an army rising up. And I believe God is raising up an army. And, and even though my generation has accomplished certain things for the gospel, uh, but we failed in certain areas of, of, of reaching people for Christ or justice, that need, areas of injustice we need to deal with. And, and, and we, we failed in certain areas. So, so the next generation now, we, we're, we're finishing our relay run, but we're also equipping the next generation to take the baton, and there's an army rising up. And so right now, Lord, we're thinking about our areas. Would you please help us to be obedient? Help us to trust you enough that you're smarter than us, that we can trust you to be obedient. And, and Lord, I pray that you will unleash this generation. By this generation, I even mean my generation now in our 60s or 70s or 80s. Lord, release us in this, maybe this fourth quarter. Or maybe for some of us, it's the two-minute drill. Or I don't know. But unleash us right now for either the final chapter of our lives or unleash the, the, the younger generation as they launch out, Lord. May they learn from our successes, but may they learn from our mistakes. And Lord, get us out of the wilderness in these areas where we've been spinning our wheels. And now, Lord, through obedience, unleash us to conquer and to take on our promised land. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.